when the month of Adar enters, the Torah tells us he's supposed to increase in joy. Nazar Chazan, Eitan, just skip the Anna today because it's, Adar has already begun, even though Anna, Adar starts tonight, but it's already yeah, close to Adar. Very close to Adar, Adar's already entered. We made, Adar has made its first announcement, and its announcement is, no Anna, time to celebrate. There are different ways of celebrating. Everyone has their own way that brings them joy, brings them happiness. And the Talmud says that you're actually supposed to bring happiness to your family in a way that makes them naturally happy. Not just you're supposed to tell them Torah and tell them, uh, teach them about mitzvot, which certainly are fulfilling and satisfying and make us happy. But you're supposed to bring your family happy and things that naturally make them happy. The Talmud says a story about this guy who comes to a town. He meets Eliyahu and Abi, he meets Elijah the prophet. He wanted to know who to hang out with. So he asked Eliyahu Anavi, who in this town is going to be in the world to come? Eliyahu Anavi said, I think you can figure that out. It's easy. So he goes to a synagogue, he sees everyone studying and praying, intensity. He's like, I think people here, they're all going. Elijah says, you're right. Let me show you two other guys who are also going. And they walk to the outskirts of the town. There are people with very tired, very lonely, and very sad faces. And these two jokers, two comedians come out, and they do these acrobatic uh, stunts and jokes and laughter, and all of a sudden there's life in these, people fa- these people's faces. Now, Yal Navi said, Elijah the Prophet said, these two comedians are members, they, are, they have a share in the world to come. And not just the world to come, it's also how to be a member of this world as well. To really be a member of this world, to be accomplish something in this world, simcha, joy, is key to everything. And there are a lot of things that we could do when we're on, you know, like in a car, there's different uh, gears, right? You function different gears. If you're functioning with simcha, if you're functioning with joy, it brings a different kind of success. When you're happy about what you're doing, it brings a different kind of success. Today, I want to talk about a very fundamental thing in Judaism, connected to the idea of channeling joy from the angle of Gilgulei Neshamot, of reincarnation. Reincarnation is very relevant to this week's Torah portion. What, is, what does this Torah portion do with reincarnation, Gilgulei Neshamot? So before we get there, let's just talk about the general thing that we learned about this week. This week, the Torah starts off with, these are the laws. The laws which are, make sense to us with our mind, we can understand them. The laws of... Uh, civil damages, the laws of, uh, of, of payment, all the laws that we could explain, they're called mishpatim. The Torah introduces all these laws with the words ve'ele. Ve'ele means and these are the laws. What's that extra and? Why does it say and? Let's say these are the laws. What's the and? So Midrash says, these laws come from Mount Sinai. Last week we, we learned about Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. These laws come from Mount Sinai too. Why does the Torah have to tell us about these laws specifically They come from Mount Sinai? Why the laws that make sense? I mean, these laws, you don't have to fight about these laws. These are laws that everyone understands. Why does the Torah have to emphasize about these laws that they come from Mount Sinai? There is um, a law in the Torah. Let's say you're, you're, you have a dispute with somebody. And you know that the non-Jewish court would rule the same way that a rabbinical court would rule. So the Torah says, even though they would give the same rule... You have to go to the rabbinical court. You can't go to a civil court. You have to go to specifically to a Jewish court. Why? They're going to say the same thing. Who cares who you go to? You can have the same result. What's the difference which court you go to? 
what's higher, a human being or the law? Are we above the laws? Is the law meant to serve the human being or is the human being meant to serve the law? Laws, for the most part, the way we know about laws, in our society, especially in the re- most recent times, we know that a lot of laws are made for political reasons. People have an interest in why they want a certain law to be passed, why they don't want another law to be passed. And what basis do these laws have that we should listen to these laws, these legal laws out of our country? Why should we pay attention to them? The Torah does say, the laws of the land are, have, have validity. But on what basis? There was this French professor who visited this, these cannibals. And uh, he asked these cannibals, like, what, do you really eat people? He said, yeah, we eat people. He's like, the professor says, you guys are barbarians, barbarians. So, so the head of the tribe says, hey, one second. Do you guys have wars out there in the big world in Europe and America? Do you have wars? says, yeah, we just had a huge war of, uh, a few decades ago. The, the, in World War II, 30 million people died. You ate 30 million people? <laughs> he says, no, we didn't eat that. We're not barbarians. We're not primitive like you guys. We're just, 30 million people got killed. One second. Why do you kill? If you're not, we, he says, the, the head of the tribe says, we eat people when we're stuck. We're hungry. Nothing else to eat. We eat people. But you guys, why do you kill 30 million people? For what? For money? Because you wanted a larger... You wanted more glory. You wanted to conquer another land. What, what? Who are the barbarians? Who is more primitive? And the truth is that with logic, you can't really make a fair law because human logic is always guided by our own uh, our own interests. You know, the Nazis. Many of the top Nazis were vegetarians. Hitler, Yamachimo, he said, "I can't understand how a human being." comes with a sophisticated weapon and walks over to an animal and kills the animal. And there were laws in, in Germany about killing animals. It wasn't, wasn't. And, and yet, and they were vegetarians, the top ones, Goebbels and, uh, and all top, top, the top Nazis were all vegetarians. And yet, they committed the most stunning atrocities ever committed in, in history, which tells us a little bit about why it's important that the laws that we have, that we ha- even the laws that make sense to us, we don't just keep them because it makes sense to us. They have basis. They come from Harsina. They come from Mount Sinai. We don't listen to them because it makes sense. We, we listen to them because God gave us these laws. And that gives them a certain kind of permanence and strength. They can't be changed. These are laws of God. But there's also a deeper thing that's going on over here with, these, with Elam Mishpatim. The Midrash says that the Torah presents the words, the laws of the Torah here and it uses the same word the laws in last week's Torah portion, and in the middle, you have the giving of the Torah Mount Sinai. You have the word laws last week, you have the word laws this week, and between the two laws, you have the giving of the Torah. So the Midrash gives the following analogy. Midrash says, it's like a queen who's going to a new place, and she has her soldiers that accompany her and help her get to that place. So to there is the giving of the Torah, there's the Torah, there's the words of God, I, Lord, your God, took me out of Egypt. What makes that go somewhere, that brings the, the, the queen of God's words, I, Lord, your God, what makes that happen are the laws. What does that mean? Speaking of the queen going somewhere, I think you're, you're about to go on to a new uh, journey, right? Gilgalzeh, Gilgalachwa, learning about reincarnation. Reincarnation isn't just something that happens in the next world, it happens in this world also, many changes. It's like a, it's like a Gilgul, it's like an incarnation. Let's give you a bracha. Together, only good news. Amen.
The month of Adar is a month of good mazel. It tells you if you have a court case, you're supposed to try to make the court case in this month, because this is a month of divine grace and mercy. So it's really a great, great time to, uh, to, to try, something, try something new. Anyways, so the Zohar says something very fascinating about Rabbi Shumba Yochai. He began teaching this Torah portion, Mishpatim, with the words, Ve'ela Mishpatim, says Rabbi Shumba Yochai, Patach, he opens a new world. A, new way, a whole new way of looking at this Torah portion. He says, what is this Torah portion talking about? Gilgulei Neshamot is talking about reincarnation. What does this have to do with reincarnation? There's a guy, he lends someone 10,000 euros. Something like that, 10,000 euros. And he comes to the guy after a year or so. The guy said, I'll pay him back in a month, a month, two months, a whole year passes. And he knows that the guy could pay him back. He found out the guy's doing well. Just got an Esther Martin, you know. It's probably doing well. So, uh, the story that happened a long time ago. They didn't have no Esther Martins those days. They just had dinosaurs. Anyways, whatever it was, it was he, he, had, he was doing well, and he wanted to get his money back. So he went to the guy. He says, I, I, I want to just ask, are you able to pay back the money I lent you? He said, what money? So he said, you know, I lent you 10,000 euros. He says, what do you mean you lent me 10000 He says, oh, I was in with you in the synagogue. We were standing over here. I gave you in cash. He says, I don't know if you're talking about it. If I borrowed I paid it back. This guy doesn't know what to do. He says, listen, we're, we're religious people. Let's go to a rabbi. We go to the rabbi. I, I lent him 10,000 euros. Do you have a document? Do you have witnesses? No. I never borrowed 10,000 euros from this guy. I don't know what he's talking about. The rabbi says, I'm sorry. Now, this guy who had lent 10,000 euros was very religious. He wasn't from a religious family. But he started keeping the Torah with a real sincerity, and he, he didn't, it didn't bother him he lost 10,000 euros. He went to Rabbi Savatitsky from Belgium. He went to him and said, I don't, it doesn't bother me 10,000 euros. I could handle 10,000 euros. It doesn't bother me. What bothers me is, th- this rabbi is not telling me his own ideas. He's telling me the laws of the Torah. And the Torah is a Torah of truth. How could it be that a Torah of truth is telling a lie? I did lend him 10,000 euros. So, and I, he did not pay me back. So how could the Torah of truth give a ruling which is against the truth? So they opened up this book called The Teachings of the, of the Baal Shem Tov and the Torah. This, th- there are different um, versions of this teaching that I'm going to share with you, but it's all the same idea, a very powerful idea. It's printed in, in, this, in this Sefer, also printed in Sefer Haredim, different versions of the same story. The Mizitcha Magid, the successor of the Baal Shem Tov, he asked the Baal Shem, what does the story of Mishpatim have to do with reincarnation? Why is that? Rabbi Yochai said this Torah portion about the laws of reincarnation. So Baal Shem said, I want you to go to this tree and uh, hang out in the tree and, and, and come back. Okay. He goes to the tree and this guy sits in, by this tree and he, uh, he eats something and drinks and he, and he uh, leaves and he forgets his wallet there. Another guy comes by and uh, he sees this wallet there and he picks it up. And a third guy comes by, a poor guy comes over there, and he falls asleep by the tree. So the, the guy who had left the wallet there comes back, he sees this poor guy by the tree, he says, this guy stole my money. And he says, dude, where's the money? He says, you can search me, I don't have your money, I know what you're talking about. And the guy is not satisfied, he starts hitting him and hitting him and hitting him, and he says, you, I gave you the money, I, I left the money here, where, where is it? So he goes back to the Baal Shem Tov, and he asks the Baal Shem Tov, what is the meaning of the story? Baal Shem Tov said that in a previous lifetime, 
this guy who had left the money there had borrowed money from the guy who had found it. And the poor guy who had give, who had gotten beaten up, he was the rabbi who had easily absolved the person who had lent the money. He, he said there's no proof, whatever, he's very cold about it, he's very frigid about it, he didn't, he didn't really, really look into it. And so therefore, the guy who had lent the money got the money back, and the rabbi who wasn't taking the case seriously, he also got, he got beaten up because he wasn't taking the case seriously. The Talmud says, any judge who gives a judgment according to Torah is a partner with God in creation. Now the words the Talmud uses are, any judge who gives a judgment which is truth of truth is a partner with God in creation. What's the meaning of truth of truth? Sometimes a court, the Jewish court, goes according to the Torah and they don't give the ruling that about what happened. But that's what that's what God's plan is. When you go to a Rav, and the Rav gives a Psaq, and gives a halacha, this is what has to happen. There is, this is how Hashem's guidance is coming to the world. The, the halacha is the way Hashem runs the world. It's Hashem's plan. Whether or not it makes sense to you, doesn't make sense to you, this is Hashem's plan. And we don't always know a lot about Hashem's plan because we're just looking at things, you know, just in this world, where we are right now, we don't know the whole history of souls and angels and where we are and how many times you came to this world, but there is a plan and there is a reason why things happen that's beyond the here and now. And that's the meaning of Mishpatim. Think about it. In every other country, in every other religion, in every other society, who studies laws? The lawyers, the, doc, the, uh, the judges. In our, in our Jewish community, who studies the laws of the Torah? Rabbis. Little kids! We're never going to be rabbis. We're never going to be judges. We're never going to be anything like that. But they study. Why? Because for us, keeping the Torah, why, why can't we steal? It's not because we're ethical. We don't want to hurt the person. Let's say a person's rich, doesn't care about the money, doesn't bother the money. No, because it's the will of God. So for us, the laws of the Torah aren't just about being ethical and moral. It's about the will of God. It's about fulfilling what God wants to do in this world. And this is the meaning and the power of the verse in the Torah, in Kohelet, in Ecclesiastes, it says, Dor holech vidor da. One generation goes, one generation comes. One second. It should have said one generation comes, and then it goes. One generation comes, then it goes. First it comes, then it goes. Why is it it goes, then it comes? It's not a question. It should have said, Dor ba vidor halech. A generation comes, and a generation goes. What does it mean? Rekiva said, the generation that has gone away, that has passed away, returns again. It's not just a, it's it's here one time. The same generation has left, comes back. But what does that have to do with us? What it has to do with us is that there. First of all, just a couple of interesting things about reincarnation. There are sometimes, uh, most of the time, it says that men are reincarnated. Uh, why? Why exactly? It's not for the subject of our, our class right now. But women don't usually get reincarnated. But sometimes a woman is reincarnated and she doesn't have children. That's because she's a reincarnation of a man. And she doesn't have to have children. That's not her mission this time and around in the world. Sometimes people have very a lot of fear. And they don't know what their fear is from. And the fear is to with trauma, says the Rechaim Mital Nima Darizal, of what happened in the previous lifetime. There are um, times that uh, a, a uh, person has a certain tendency, a certain attraction to something that's very wrong. And the reason you have attraction that's very wrong in you is because that's something you have to fix up in this lifetime. There was a guy who 
was in, who really loved not he loved to eat, and he always was very like uh, not so strict about eating eating kosher food. You can always find a rabbi who says things are kosher, right? So he, he he would eat the things that they say. Some people say it's kosher. Some people say it's kosher. This guy goes to heaven. One of those guys who always finds a rabbi says some people say it's kosher. He goes to heaven. He goes in the elevator and he and, and where am I going? You go to heaven. He walks out of the elevator and it's like terrible. He's like, what is this? Some people say this is heaven. So 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 uh, this guy who was who was really you know into food. He's a big foodie guy and he wasn't careful eating kosher. He asked the rabbi for a blessing. And about this thing that he had in him, and Rebbe said to him, "You should be very careful to keep kosher." He turned the, turned the opposite extreme. He realized this mitzvah for him is the most important mitzvah. This mitzvah he has to focus on. We don't know always what mitzvah we ha- is the mitzvah that we have to focus on. But if you see that you have something especially challenging for you, that's a sign that there's something in you that that needs that. I just saw something today fascinating. During the war, during World War II, there was a guy who was living. In, uh, living in a, in a non-Jewish environment, he ate non-kosher, and once a week he would go to a family that kept kosher, and he ate kosher with them on Shabbat. He would drive to his family, and he would spend some time in a Jewish environment and eat kosher with them. And his friends thought this was very interesting. You know, he's going once a week to eat kosher with his family, and uh, and he needs it. You know, he's living in a non-kosher, non-Jewish environment the whole week. Isn't this a good idea? So he asked the Rebbe, "Is this a good thing?" It's a good thing. He's driving. He's driving. He's driving on Shabbat, but he's driving to be with Jews to eat kosher. So the Rebbe answered like this. The Rebbe said that our sages understood, although everyone has different perspectives, our sages understood the depth of every person, and they said something very profound, which is for every person. They said never measure the laws of the Torah. Never say this is more important. This is less important. Never measure them. Never go into a discussion what's more and what's less. When it comes to Torah, God says doesn't matter what it is. Don't measure. And especially these two, these two um, issues of keeping kosher and Shabbat are very powerful. Why? Keeping kosher isn't just something that affects us in the world to come. In this world itself, first thing something is not kosher, it causes him to feel things that are really special, to feel very bland and strange and distant. When you eat something non-kosher, it causes a person to... It, 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 we don't understand how this works, but non-kosher food, you are what you eat, it makes things which are special and precious to feel distant and strange... And Shabbat, the Torah says, is equal to all the mitzvot combined. Keeping Shabbat, it says, it, it emphasizes we believe in God. So the Rebbe said, these are two big things. So you can't measure them against each other. But the Rebbe wrote this letter during World War II, and he said, we're all responsible for each other. We have an obligation to God and to our people. And the Torah, you have to tell this guy, the Rebbe said, explain to him, open his eyes, make him realize that what he's doing is similar to someone who says, there's a fire, there's a fire, what should I do, there's a fire, and what does he do, he takes a, a, a gallon of gas, and he pours it on the fire to put it out. In a similar way, you can't, you can't solve the issue of, of the fact that you're alone with, with non-Jews a whole week and eating non-kosher with driving on Shabbat, that doesn't solve it. Instead, the Rebbe said, if, if something was really, your life depended upon something, you'd find a way, you'd find a way to make it work. Now, it's easy for me, sitting in, in the ivory castle of, of Pico Robertson and uh, keep Shabbat and keep kosher. I mean, I, I, which restaurant should I go to? You know, it's, 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 it's. But there are some souls which they're born in a different environment, different, whole different set of circumstances. And for them, that's their mitzvah. That's their thing. And that's why they're here in this world, for that, for that struggle. We don't know exactly what our mission is, what our unique mitzvah is. But one thing we do know is that if something's harder for you, 
it's, it's more, it's more, it's more, it's, it's more pertinent for you. That's why Adam and Eve had such a hard time with the tree. Why you had such a hard time with the tree? Don't eat the fruit. Big deal. Especially come some opinions that Talmud say it was an esrig. Who wants to eat an esrig? Esrigs take taste terrible. But there was there was something that had to do with their souls that they they had this challenge. It was about their whole destiny, and that's why it was so hard. So our generation in general, we have a unique thing. Most souls that were ever born are recycled. Most souls are recycled. That's probably like this seltzer can was a recycled can. <laughs> Most souls are recycled souls. And there's something that we have in our generation that no generation has had before. The Sifri Musa give the following analogy. We're midgets compared to our parents. We're midgets for sure compared to our grandparents. We're tiny, tiny people. And yet the Torah says that our generation, the last generation, the lowest generation, is going to be the one that gets Mashiach, that sees Mashiach, that sees a resurrection of the dead. How could that be? How could our little generation get that? And the answer is that what's unique about our generation is we're like a midget on top of giant's shoulders. We might be, a, a, a giant goes up, he tries to see above a wall, and the wall's taller and he can't see it. He takes a little midget, puts him on his shoulders, and he can see a lot farther. In a similar way, the, the, it says in the Talmud, Hashem says, I'll, I'll leave you guys with this, let you guys go. It says in the Talmud, Hashem says, okay, I'll leave you two things, let you go. Aitan, ready? Okay. It says in the Talmud, Teshuvah, return to God, brings healing to the world. What's the difference between food and medicine? Food has to do with quantity. You had one plate, you weren't full, you had another plate, you are full. Medicine doesn't go by quantity. I, I went to, a, I did a physical uh, the other week just because, you know, you're supposed to guard your health. Thank God I'm okay. And the doctor discovered that I, I'm a number seven, I have 17 in vitamin D, which is supposed to have, I don't know how much. She gave me 50,000 uh, grams of whatever it is. Everyone of, has that low. Everyone's low in vitamin D. So you should always, yeah, she didn't know about this. She have a lot of vitamin D. It's good stuff. Anyways, so, so, um, that was the advertisement for vitamin D. Now back to regular scheduled programming. Okay, so, so, there is something about the unique place that Hashem puts us in, and Hashem tells us that a little bit of teshuva, a little bit of teshuva, a little bit of coming close, a step towards Hashem, is like a medicine. Just like a little capsule contains so much power, so too when you do teshuva, a step towards Hashem is a very powerful thing. Here's, here's the teaching, I'll let you guys go. It says in the Talmud, Hashem says, Tashamea lo Okay. Hashem says, there you go. Shem says, open up for me like the eye of a needle, and I'll open up for you like the opening of the ulam, which does not have any, the opening the temple, a big auditorium, which does not have any doors. What's the meaning of the needle? What happens when you have a needle prick, pricks into you? A needle pricks into you, you jump up, right? So a step towards Hashem means not just a little step, like, okay, I'll, I'll do mincha right now. That means you, you, you get up and say, I need, I, need to, I, need, I need to get closer. Something has to happen. Something has to shift. What happens when you do that? We make a step towards Hashem, you wake up, so Hashem opens up for you in a way that never closes. Call, if you call it to the Kotzka Rebbe said, Hashem says, open up me like the eye of a needle, like a step forward. And our steps forward have a greater power than any generation before. Why? Because all the bad that was ever done before in history, it's erased through suffering, through teshuva. Bad doesn't last forever. But all the mitzvot, all the good of all previous generations, accumulate. A mitzvah is added to another mitzvah. There's a giant of mitzvot that stand behind us. And so therefore, our little step forward brings the goal to, of the coming of Mashiach and makes it actually happen. We're standing at the end of history, in the beginning of the coming time of the coming Mashiach. And our little step, a little step forward, 
if it's a real step, like the step of a, a needle, like you really jump forward, it, it, it causes tremendous bracha. As the Maimonides says, before you do anything, you say anything or think anything, you should realize that that next thing you think, next thing you say, one good thought, one good word, one good action, could tip the scale and bring Mashiach to the whole world. L'chaim, l'chaim.